passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's a close fight. Very close. Got to give it everything this round. Can't let him him lay on you. Okay? He's just going to keep pushing forward heavy. Okay? He's going to hold on and keep pushing forward heavy. So you got to get into the body. You got to move both sides. Move. Okay? Slide out to the side. You got to keep moving. You can't stop moving. Okay? Three guy out. Let's throw. Let's go, man. We don't get tired. We get hungry. Let's burn the castle. Let's burn yeah. the shit. Let's take the fucking castle now. Fucking stick yeah. his ass. Take him down. Let's hurt this guy. If he gets back up, let's fucking knock his ass out. Let's do it, Henry. We got let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. It is John Pollock, and this is our UFC 227 post show coming out of Saturday's card from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. You know them and love them. Phil and Ziggy are back for another month. Lots to talk about from Saturday night's card. First of all, Phil, a very, I think, historical night maybe in in history. But going into this card, where was your level of anticipation for UFC 227? I'm always excited to see uh, Demetrius Johnson. Um, he's, uh, technically speaking, he's uh, probably my second uh, favorite fighter. Uh, and he's improved so much uh each fight so i was looking forward to seeing him again but uh to be perfectly honest the whole card kind of felt a little bit lackluster like there was a lot of names that i wasn't familiar with on this card so it sort of didn't feel like a typical ufc pay-per-view and uh it was a long weekend as well in uh canada so uh my mind was a little bit elsewhere than the fights uh but i did enjoy the card nonetheless and ziggy a long weekend in canada and a long night in los angeles with eight decisions uh from these 12 fights on saturday but uh conversely yourself i mean going into this card I don't know if this felt like a very big pay-per-view. I think in hindsight, it will be looked back upon as a notable one because of what happened. Uh, but how did you feel about the card? Um, I, I'm the same with Phil. Um, it, it felt a little lackluster aside from the, the two big fights um, on there. But like you said, I, I thought the, the fights were, were pretty good. So we're, we're going to go in and run through all of the, the fights. But before, I just wanted to uh, get some reaction from you guys because on Friday, the UFC held their, their big seasonal press conference going over their major fights for the rest of the year. And the big one, of course, is the fact that Jimmy Manoa is going to be fighting. But above <laughs> all that, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, Conor McGregor, October the 6th in Las Vegas to headline UFC 229. I'll start with you, Phil. What did you think about the usage of the bus incident for the promo? I mean, it, on the one hand, it kind of writes itself. On the other, I don't know. How do you feel about them taking this this incident and now clearly looking to profit off of it? Did you have any misgivings with that, or is it fair game in promotional uh, practice? I think it's completely fair game. I mean, we've seen worse from the UFC in the past. I think the second that the incident happened – uh, w- we knew it was going to be used as long as the UFC and McGregor were able to come to terms on a fight, which I think it didn't surprise anybody that it eventually happened. So I, I have no problems with it. I- I'm actually surprised that they didn't use some more of the footage of Dana showing his disgust with Connor and sort of amping up a sort of Vince style angle. <laughs> Connor versus Dana, but uh, no, it's it's fine. It's this is the fight game. Like you need you you're selling controversy. I mean, even the whole promo that they aired uh, last night of all of the fights that they're looking to build towards, it was just let's take the snippet from the press conference 
of each guy talking smack about the other guy. So it, this is this is what sells fights, and and no surprise, no, and I, I no shame. Yeah. Um. No, there's no doubt this is going to be one of the biggest UFC pay-per-views of all time. My question to you, Ziggy, will it be the biggest pay-per-view in UFC history? Though, you know, based on the figures that are out there, the second McGregor-Diaz fight believed to do in the neighborhood of 1.7 million buys. Will this top it on October 6th? Uh, I think easily, especially with uh, everything that's happened with the, the with the bus incident. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to this fight, right? I mean... Like with Nate Diaz, yeah, he's a great fighter, but we haven't seen, um, you know, Khabib really lose. So um, it'll be a very interesting fight, and I think that that's the definitely the money fight to make. And you know, I I think you kind of knew that they were obviously going to use the the bus uh, situation um, just based on them not punishing McGregor, right? So. It's all about the money. It's a business, and I don't really see a problem with it. Given so many fans, uh, Phil, spent $100 on Conor McGregor's last fight with Floyd Mayweather Jr., do you see the UFC altering their price point for this pay-per-view above the standard $64.99 for this pay-per-view? Because I feel they could jack this price up, and the same amount of people are going to buy it. Do you think the same? That's a interesting question I hadn't thought of. I don't think so. I think I think the UFC has a consistent brand. They're not selling Conor McGregor pay-per-views. They're selling UFC pay-per-views, and Conor McGregor still remains part of the UFC. So I think you just try to get the most amount of buys at that traditional p- price point. Do you do a $10 increase in perpetuity at that event? Maybe. But I don't see them uh, giving an, an increased price. Uh, one thing to note, uh, maybe you're going to bring this up, but of course, Nate Diaz is scheduled to be on that card as well. So no, the following, just, he, he's fighting the following month, the Madison Square Garden show. Oh, did they? Oh, did they? Oh, well, I mean, if he shows up, though. there's there's. There's certainly always the possibility that that fight ends up turning into McGregor Diaz three. I don't think it's a coincidence that they book the Poirier uh, Diaz fight so close to uh, McGregor versus Habib as well. Uh, so in case somebody falls out, they can slot in Poirier versus Habib, or potentially slot in Diaz versus McGregor. Last one is for Ziggy before we go into Saturday night's card, but over the next. Seven months, okay? I'll give you a seven-month window. Okay. Uh, just tell me, likely or unlikely, that you get fights out of Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, Brock Lesnar, and John Jones from the UFC. Likely or unlikely, all of those four have a fight in the UFC over the next, let's say, seven to eight months. I would have said yes if you did not include John Jones. Okay. So you think the rest will all fight in, the, in, that, time when, in that time frame? Yeah, I mean, I think they they announced uh, for Brock would be like January, like nine or ninth or eighth, right? If he yeah, he'll be eligible to... to fight after yeah that second week of January, if he yeah. signs a contract with the UFC, which he has not as of yet. But didn't Dana say that he is technically under contract? Like his old contract is still valid? Like it's a multi-fight contract? Well, it's it's confusing because technically he is still under a WWE deal as of right now, which is exclusive to them now once he is free of that contract which is believed to be at the end of this summer then i mean it's not as though it would appear his contractual rights could just be up for grabs in the mma space that the ufc still uh would able to be able to retain him it's a very confusing situation with one brock lesnar but essentially he's still uh, his wwe deal prevents him from being able to sign a contract elsewhere while that deal is still in effect. When, when Brock Lesnar is unable to have any type of athletic endeavors, he needs to teach some type of uh, MBA course at right. Harvard because this is the master businessman in, in, in this world. Like, yes. oh, my goodness. <laughs> Negotiating from a place of leverage, 101, with Professor Lesnar. <laughs> All right, let's let's go into Saturday's card. We're going to start on the, the with the fight pass prelims, and we will work our way up through the the pay per view. It started off with uh, Marlon Vera taking on 
Waligi Burren at bantamweight, one of many bantamweight fights on the bill on Saturday night, featuring referee Frank Trigg, uh, who has been officiating for quite some time now and now making uh, appearances here on California-based cards. Uh, this one went uh, 4.53 of the second round when it was this violent liver shot uh, that landed by uh, Vera to drop Burren and then finished him with, with hammer fists. Uh, first round, I thought, was very close. I, I leaned towards Vera, but then he made it pretty decisive in the second round, and Vera improves to 13-5-1. and one. Then I segue over to Phil for your expert analysis. Uh, so uh, I was able to see all the fights, and uh, this was a pretty entertaining fight. Burren came out throwing huge shots and looked to control... Uh, I, I thought he actually won the first round. He was throwing bigger shots, landing, and uh, he was—he looked like to be the bigger man. Um, uh, but and he was moving Vera back for most of the first round, and then uh, to start the second round, Vera's corner kind of said, "You know, you need to move forward." And then it, it, it also seemed like Vera just had more of the pace and the better cardio. And was able to turn it up and then eventually did finish with the liver shot. Uh, so it, 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 that was a pretty entertaining fight. And uh, I look forward to seeing more from Vera. And we got our first of many decisions on this card. Uh, Wiley Zhang, who is a really outstanding fighter out of China with the uh, Black Tiger fight team. She came into this 16-1 and record taking on Danielle Taylor, who is listed at 5 feet fighting at the strawweight division. Uh, an incredibly small woman uh, here. Uh giving up three inches in reach. Uh, first round, I, I thought that, uh, first of all, they were making a big uh, deal out of the, the size discrepancy of how big Zhang looked and how small Taylor looked. Like you could almost argue Zhang could be fighting at 125 pounds and Taylor probably belongs at 105 pounds. Uh, they went the distance. I had Zhang winning rounds one and three uh, with Taylor taking the second. Taylor was uh, not really like loading up on all her strikes and putting combinations together. But when she got her left hand going, she was having a lot of success with that, in particular at the end of the first and second rounds. I gave her the second. Uh, Zhang, I thought, uh, landing a lot of counters and combinations in the third. Uh, and the judges scored it 29-28 across the board for Wiley Zhang. So 17th straight wins for her. Phil, uh, were you impressed? Can this be someone uh, to watch at strawweight? I was definitely impressed. This was a, a very technical fighter. Uh, as you mentioned, it, there was a fairly big size discrepancy in this fight. But uh, Danielle Taylor, uh, I think this was her fourth or fifth fight in the UFC. So she, she's had some experience against some good names, uh, wins against uh, good names. Uh, she has a win against uh, Jessica Penne. Uh, so uh, I was very impressed. I actually had Zhang winning um, or Zhang winning all three rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, really, uh, Taylor only did have that big left land at the end of the first and the second. Uh, it wasn't the most thrilling fight, especially into the third, but Zhang controlled it. She was just crisper, and, and uh, I and I believe this was her 16th or 17th win in, war, in a row. Yes. So I, I definitely look forward to seeing her in the future. Uh, this is definitely a fighter to watch. Yeah, um, she lost her debut fight and since then has now won 17 straight. And when you look at how busy this woman has been, uh, just looking at her record, she fought six times in 2016, then another seven fights she put in last year. So someone that's been extremely busy and building up that record uh, in a very small amount of time. And there I say, Phil, with the size discrepancy that Danielle was tailor-made for Wiley Zhang striking. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Jose Shorty Torres was next, taking on Alex Perez. This was an incredible performance from Alex Perez. I was, I thought this was one of the standout fights on the undercard to look out for at 125 pounds. Perez just came out with all of these combinations. He was mixing it up with knees to the body. And part of you was just worried that this guy was just going to hit a brick wall with his conditioning, but he never did. It was just constant pressure and just unloaded against the fence on Torres who eventually put up a, a decent amount of defense and was trying to land his own right hands but just uh, unfortunately fell apart here against the fence and Perez just dropped him finally got the stoppage at three minutes 36 seconds of the first round Perez has now won eight straight and listen to this stat Ziggy he in three minutes and 36 seconds he landed 104 strikes and threw 170. That's unreal. 
That is crazy. Like, that's how much, like, that's how many more punches than, uh, Naganu? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just crazy. Maybe that was, uh, to make up for it. I don't know, but that, that's an insane stat. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, high amount of accuracy too with, uh, the amount thrown compared to, uh, to what he landed. But yeah, this was, a. Uh, uh, at the end of the fight pass prelims and the end of the televised prelims, you got two really dynamite fights, I thought. Yeah. Well, th- this was more so a performance than a fight, but nonetheless, Alex Perez improves to 21-4. and four. Perez came out of the blocks just firing. Torres was on the back foot for about a minute, but then he finally started to engage, and he was definitely landing some good shots. But uh, Perez did not relent, and as you mentioned, uh, he was able to maintain that steady pace and was able to get a great finish. Uh, it was, it was a really uh, fun fight and, uh, you know, I mean, it lasted like three and a half minutes, four minutes. So, uh, it's, it's definitely worthwhile watching for any, uh, any fight fan. Televised prelims began with a featherweight fight between Matt sales, a seven and one fighter taking on nine and two shame on Marias and Matt sales, uh, trains at Alliance with Dominic Cruz and listen, this guy looked good in this fight and showed a lot of conditioning. It was his UFC debut, but I thought that Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier fell in love with this guy and it was just became too much for me. Like there were times when Marias was literally punching him in the face and the accolades were going towards sales. Like <laughs> what, what great resolve he's got. This guy is just. He's not showing any hiccups here in his UFC debut. I'm like, he is soundly being beaten by Shaman Marias. Maybe we can have a little focus for the guy that is clearly going to get his arm raised at the end of this fight. Did I, was I the only one who kind of honed in on this commentary from Cormier and Rogan? Uh, no, I, I definitely agree with that. The, the commentary was focused on sales um, and and definitely rounds one and two. It was uh, clearer that Marias was winning this fight. Uh, sales really didn't do much, especially in the stand-up department, and and he wasn't able to secure any takedowns really. So it was it, it was very one-sided. So it, it was a bizarre commentary exchange that the focus was on sales. Um, in the third round, uh, Marias was able to fade, did fade, and yes. sales was able to. Uh, take over the fight. And so the, at that point, it may have been more apropos to have commentary uh, talking about his conditioning because that was the story of the fight. But by that point, he'd already lost two rounds and, and the judges scorecards really reflected it. Had it been a five round fight, you know, it would have been interesting what could have happened, but they booked a three round fight and that's what Marias prepared for. And he won two out of those three rounds. So it, it was a bit unusual, the commentary, uh, on this one. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't want to downgrade sales. He had a very good, like fine performance here against a, a really good fighter in Shaman Marias. But I thought Marias clearly won the first two and it just seemed to be the focus was sales ability to roll when they were when he was having strikes thrown at him, which were still landing. Uh, and it just, it just seemed like there was no focus here on the, the strikes that Marias was landing, but sales uh, to his credit had a very good third round. The judges all scored at 29, 28, uh, anything to add Ziggy on this fight. We had another bantamweight fight, Hikardo Hamosh taking on Kyung Ho Kang and, uh, Kang is nicknamed, uh, Mr. Perfect. And <laughs> I thought that, uh, Hamosh here, uh, Took the first two rounds. Uh, his his striking uh, airtight. I thought that this was a really entertaining fight. By the third, I thought that that's when Kang really started to be able to uh, land with more frequency, in particular with his right hook. And I gave him the third round. I had it 29-28 uh, for Ramos. But it was a split decision here in favor of Ricardo Ramos. How did you score this fight, Phil? Uh, so I actually had this fight 30-27 for uh, Ramos. But uh, that scorecard doesn't reflect the competitive nature of the fight. I did think that most of the rounds were close. By the third round, they kind of were both fatigued. And it did seem like Kang was landing more combinations towards the second half of the third round. But Ramos did still have some really good, solid strikes. Um, There was a really great sequence in the second round where uh, Kang sort of tripped Ramos – 
off of a kick and took top position. But Ramos was really good off of his back. He had amazing control. He was able to attack with elbows. He he looked for a sweep, tried to attack a knee bar. So I did have it 10-9 all three rounds for Ramos, uh, giving him the 30-27. But it was a close competitive fight, and uh, it was a very entertaining fight. Yeah, I thought just you know a really tight technical fight that was very exciting throughout. I really enjoyed this fight uh, on the undercard. Ricky Simone was next, taking on Montel Jackson, uh, and this one just featured, you know, Montel Jackson is someone he's only had six professional fights, and I think he's someone that's going to mature into a much better fighter. Uh, Ricky Simone was just relentless in this fight with his takedowns. I think all told, he had about seven and just grinded Jackson throughout, who at one point in the first round, Jackson grabbed hold of Simone's wrist, who was trying to break free. Like he was wrestling Kazuchika Okada and he was just holding on for the Rainmaker. <laughs> and Simone was able to uh, eventually break free of this. Um, so lots of power that Jackson possesses and was landing. Um, but it was just the takedowns that became a big difference maker uh, for uh, Ricky Simone as this fight progressed. And in the third, it was a pretty dominant round for Ricky Simone. Given they were in California, where they do implement the new ABC rules, you could have gone as far as a 10-8 because I thought it was fairly one-sided. But he won this on scores of 30-27 twice and 29-28. He's now won seven straight fights. And this was Jackson's uh, first loss of his career uh, and was part of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contenders series back in June. So let's go to Phil with uh, your impressions of Ricky Simone. Uh, so I thought Ricky Simone really grinded out a, a good win. It was a tough fight for him. I mean, uh, Jackson was pretty clearly the better striker in this fight, but he was able to just continue to work that pace. And and the small difference in the wrestling and the grappling that was uh, there in the start of the fight became a big difference as the fight went on. And it was really a story of Simone made it, the type of fight that he wants and that's what allowed him to yes. take 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 over in the last part of the fight but uh, I definitely agree with what you said uh, in regards to Montel Jackson having a lot of potential even though he lost clearly in this fight there's a lot of upside I believe in in this fighter and I I, I look forward to seeing him in the future just he he was very green in this fight, he was, he was kind of all over the place, a little wild, even though his techniques were sharp, he, he just sort of had, a, um, a, just a lack of experience and a lack of, uh, fight IQ. And I think, uh, he, he's somebody to look out for in the future, despite the, the clear loss. Yeah, definitely. I thought that really stood out. I mean, Ricky Simone is actually a year younger than Jackson, but the big differential was just the experience the two had. This was Simone's 15th fight. He's fought much higher level competition, and that to me was uh, the big difference maker in this fight. And then we go to the uh, the main card. Uh, sorry, not the main card, but the main fight of the televised prelims. Pedro Munoz taking on Brett Johns at 135 pounds. This was an unbelievable fight. On most cards, this would have been fight of the night. I think you could argue it was, just in terms of sheer entertainment. The first round featured uh, just a, a slugfest between these two, where Johns was able to tag Munoz after Munoz had a lot of success with his leg kicks early on, and then Munoz is just throwing with power, mixing to the body and head. Uh, I gave the first round to Johns narrowly, and then in the second, uh, the fireworks went off. Um First of all, uh, John Anik brought up that Brett Johns is fighting with a lot of pressure because he's representing Wales in the UFC and he needs to bring the UFC to Cardiff, Wales. And that means beating Pedro Munoz. And Joe Rogan, just without any filter, just flat out said, listen, I don't know if the UFC is going all the way to Cardiff just because he beat Pedro Munoz and just kind of <laughs> laughed it off. That was amazing. So then we just get Munoz, tons of volume, and he lands his body kick, and Johns goes down. And just the immediate callback to earlier in the night, uh, even last week when you saw Jeremy Stevens, I think everyone was assuming this is it. And Munoz gets on top, and Johns is able to get back to his feet, and then Munoz goes back to his leg kicks. And Johns barely had a leg to stand on by the end of this round. He just got annihilated. This was a 10-8 round for Munoz, an unbelievable round, one of the better ones you're going to see this year. And Brett Johns just limps to his corner. 
And to hear his corner that's just saying, okay, we know you're hurt. And just trying to get this guy back in for the third round. And they did. And the third round was just uh, another dominant one for Munoz. He goes back to the leg kicks. And the story of this fight was just John's having unbelievable resolve, but uh, not enough to be able to get anywhere near to winning this fight. I scored at 29-27 for Pedro Munoz. I had him winning 10-8 in the second round. Uh, scores were 30-26, 29-28, and 29-27, all for Pedro Munoz, who improves to 16-3. and Ziggy, you did see this undercard fight. Yes. Uh, was this the best fight of the night on Saturday is my first question. Um. I I don't think so. Um, I I felt like Munoz could have probably finished it if he wanted to, but he he didn't take advantage of like those leg kicks when he could have or when he dropped them and everything like that. I I felt like he should have been able to finish that fight. But it, it like it was crazy that John kept getting back up. But I felt like that fight should have finished. Yeah, this is one of those fights where I, I don't think Brett Johns, I think he gains in this loss uh, just for his toughness. Uh, Pedro Munoz is a very tough bantamweight. Uh, Phil, how did you score this fight? Uh, so I had this fight 30-27 uh, for Munoz. 30-26 uh, uh, makes perfect sense with the round two being uh, a 10-8. I just didn't happen to score it that way. I'd probably have to watch it again to see uh, maybe I should have. Um, I do agree that there was probably an opportunity for Munoz in this fight to to attack the body. Like he dropped uh, John several times with body shots, Two and of then them, I think. He, and then he would take top position and he would just sort of, you know, attack the head and 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 look to work from the top rather than maybe knee to the body or even stand, try to get a stand up and then go back to the body. So I think that there was a little, maybe some missed opportunity there for Munoz, but he, he controlled the fight very well. Um, he put out an incredible pace and never got tired, uh, despite throwing, you know, everything at John's and it was a super entertaining fight. I wouldn't call it the fight of the night because even though it was very entertaining, it was predominantly one-sided. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, there was a better fight to come this night. Yeah. Most nights, these two would be walking away with bonuses. But, I mean, there was a there was a really incredible fight to come as well. We now move on over to the pay-per-view portion. And it kicked off with uh, Tiago Santos, who's been fighting for the promotion since 2013, taking on Kevin Holland, who was just on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series and was someone that won his fight. But Dana White was critical of because the guy was talking so much smack during the fight to Dana White during the fight that when they had a last-minute uh, opening here for uh, an opponent, they Dana suggested call up one of the contender guys. And according to Dana, all of them turned down the fight. So he said, call up the loudmouth. See if loudmouth will take this fight. And Kevin Holland took this fight on relatively short notice. So that was kind of the story coming into this one and was even featured on Embedded. So they clearly saw something in this guy. Uh, this was a fight that I think Santos won all three rounds. Yep. But in doing so, Kevin Holland was able to uh, showcase a lot against a very tough middleweight in Tiago Santos, who is, I mean, this guy was in line to be fighting some some big names at middleweight and instead took this fight with Kevin Holland. Uh, some highlights from Holland included going for this jumping Oma Plata in the opening <laughs> round and then going for an arm bar. And Holland was very busy off his back and just started talking smack to Santos as well from the guard. Um, this continued in the second with Santos uh, landing a head kick. Holland, on a number of occasions, lost his mouthpiece, and it had to be reinserted. At one point, he was ready to just go and fire without the mouthpiece before uh, Mike Beltron, the referee, said, dude, put your mouthpiece in first. Uh, Santos dragged him down, landed a knee to the face, and Holland kept coming back and had probably his best output in the final minute of the second round, getting him down into side control, and then in the third round, very easy trip takedown for Santos, and he just landed with left hands, mounted him, and was going for an arm triangle near the end. Pretty dominant round for Tiago Santos. Uh, how did you score this fight, Phil, and what were your impressions of Kevin Holland? So uh, I had this fight 30-27 uh, for Santos. Um, it sort of reminded me a little bit of the Montel Jackson fight from earlier in the evening uh, in the sense that Holland, even though he lost, I felt clearly, 
there, I see a lot of potential in him. Uh, it, this was a, a huge fight against a very veteran opponent and he, he showed he was game, but some, just some lack of experience, like jumping for an omoplata early in the fight is, is probably not the best <laughs> idea. Um, and wait a minute. You've, you've never pulled that off, Phil. <laughs> I, I haven't attempted it yet. So maybe next time I, I, I get into the gym, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. And I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Um, uh, and I did think, and the Santos really had a lot of veteran savvy in this fight. It felt like, you know, at points he was fading a little bit with his gas tank, but he was, that wasn't really the case. He was sort of just pacing himself and getting second wins and, and he was able to land big shots. And, and so, you know, he, he fought out a, the, a, a good win. Um, but Kevin Holland, uh, again, I'd like to see him in the future. He had good um, attacks off of his back, armbar attacks, elbows. Uh, that omoplata was interesting. Um, he was able to get a, a really nice Kimura reversal in the second round to take the top position. So I'd like to see more from him. Just a different skill level uh, opponent. Yeah, Ziggy, you were really impressed with Kevin Holland. I was. I'm. I'm definitely a fan of Kevin Holland out of this. Uh, I mean, I still had this thirty twenty seven uh, Santos. I thought Santos played uh, a great game. Like his shot sounded really hard. Um, but like the the submission attempts by Holland were impressed me a lot. Um, you know, he almost had the arm bar and that Kimura transition to elbows was really nice. Um, and you know what? I, I kind of liked his talking smack uh, during during the fight. Like I know one of the announcers says, like he gets like nervous in the ring, and that's his way of um, mitigating that. And I thought it was funny. Like there was one part where um, Santos had him down, and he was just kind of talking trash. I was like, oh, like you're, you're are you joking right now or something like that? It was it was pretty funny. I was entertained, and I, I'm excited to see more of Kevin Holland. Yeah, he was, he really stood out. He was only featured on one of the embedded episodes, but I mean, this guy was really entertaining. He's like walking down the street in LA, just talking about how, how many women are paying attention to him because the camera's following him around. Uh, and anyway, he seemed to be someone that came out of this weekend with, um, a bit of an identity in the UFC middleweight division and someone that probably not too many people had heard of before this weekend, which, um, you know, for a guy that lost three rounds here, I think that's probably the best outcome you can have out of a, a loss that was uh, very clearly you had a defined winner in Tiago Santos, who got his 10th win in the UFC and has won now five of six uh, coming out of this one. Although I, I thought he was going to botch his entrance because he, he was coming out to In My Feelings. And I was just like, after watching all those videos of people doing like really bad In My Feelings videos. I felt like he was going to like run into a pole or something, but that was just me. That's maybe the next embedded if he's featured on it. <laughs> maybe. Women's strawweight division, Poliana Viana versus J.J. Aldrich. Uh, this became uh, – I thought it was a, a relatively close fight by the end. I thought that Viana won the first round. Aldrich clearly won uh, the third round when her striking was just on point throughout this round. Uh, Viana really didn't seem to be able to adjust well on her feet. She's someone that has a great ground game, but Aldridge was prepared for that, was able to defend uh, throughout. And it wasn't even until, I believe it was the second round, that Viana even got her down onto the mat. Um, mm -hmm. So it kind of comes down to the second round. I could see people going either way on that second round. J.J. Aldridge did get the unanimous decision victory. Uh, two scores of 29 and 28. One had a 29-27, which I don't know if I could go that far for the third round to score that one, a 10-8. Um, I had it, I had it 29-28 for Viana, but I also know I'm in the vast, uh, minority here and certainly didn't argue Aldrich winning this one. Um, Ziggy, did that, what stood out for you in this fight? Um, so I had it, uh, for Aldrich, uh, myself. I did feel like Viana did, uh, win, uh, round one. She was very calm and she got, um, those nice leg kicks in. Um, uh, but I found like round two is when, uh, it kind of got weird. Uh, in terms of like Aldrich was like trying to tie her up and everything, I felt like if Aldrich had just kept, um, you know, going the strike game with her, because you can tell Vienna was not a striker. You know, her arms are down, like her cat punches that she had. Um, I, I feel like if Aldrich was just to go at her with punches, she would have taken her out. Um, and then you can tell that uh, Vienna was more 
uh, comfortable with the ground game as, uh, you know, she was staying on the ground waiting for him to come down. Kind of remind me a bit of Damian Maya. Obviously, the skill set's way different, but um, very much like a, a jiu-jitsu person who doesn't know how to strike. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, and Phil, Viana came into this, I mean, with a, a little bit of momentum after that Maya Stevenson win, but also one that it was a very quick fight and showcased her strengths. And in this, we got to see 15 minutes out of her and sort of seeing where she's going to figure in at the strawweight division and certainly some improvements to be made. Yeah, uh, it was pretty clear that Aldrich was prepared for her game. And when and as the fight progressed, uh, especially into the third round, just Viana with her game not being effective, she didn't have a plan B or any other alternative. And um, because uh, Aldrich was prepared for it, she was fresher and was able to uh, dominate the position on the ground. So I, I think just Viana is either going to either need to add some more tools in her game so that she's a threat in more positions, or she just needs to do a better job of getting the fight to the ground with her on top. Because, uh, you know, when she was on bottom at first, she had some attacks, but once those were neutralized, there was no threat anymore. And, and once the threat disappeared, it was all Aldrich. And I, yeah, and I think ahead. in order to, I think in order to do that, she'll need to get stronger though. Cause she, she was pretty much getting outpowered by Aldrich in the clinch. Um, and I feel like if she's just going to keep with her jujitsu, she's going to need to get stronger. Yeah. And I think safe to say that like these first two fights on, on the pay-per-view were not exactly attracting too many purchasers on Saturday. Cub Swanson took on Hanato Moicano in featherweight action. Uh, started out with uh, Moicano working his jab early on and then kicking away at the legs of Swanson. And then this one jab drops Swanson. Oh. Moicano gets on top, is just swarming him, knees to the body, gets up against the fence. Cub is dragged right back to the mat. He mounts him. Swanson did recover to half guard, but then Moicano took his back and locked in a rear naked choke and got the submission at four minutes and 15 seconds of the first round. A a very big win for Moicano, who had he not lost to Brian Ortega, this guy would be on the fast track and probably would have fought Max Holloway by now. Uh, was an unfortunate loss for him. Uh, that said, uh, gets back here with this victory and afterwards... What a speech with Joe Rogan. He announces to the entire Staples Center and the whole pay-per-view mm-hmm. universe he loves his wife and wants to take that next step in any serious relationship. He wants to go on a vacation with her and <laughs> says, God bless America, and then called his shot that he wants the interim title and is going to fight Brian Ortega for that interim title. So he has everything mapped out. He knows where he is going, both literally with his wife and figuratively in his UFC career. I mean, this was, uh, this was the GPS of UFC featherweight fighters. Uh, Phil, a very impressive performance by Morikano, who is, I think, often overlooked when you're talking about the top fighters at featherweight and I think made a good case for himself in this fight. Oh, definitely. He made a good case for himself. And, uh, I wonder if he's maybe going to go to Orlando, Florida for that vacation. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he was very impressive beating uh, a top t- uh, 10 guy. I mean, Cub Swanson might even be, what, top six? I don't know what his exact rank He's was. Fifth. fifth. Yeah, so, you know, a super veteran, skilled fighter, and so very impressive. Molcano looked a full weight class bigger than Cub yeah. in this fight. He looked huge. So, I um, and this seems to be the trend with the 145ers. You've got um, Max... Uh, Mocano and, uh, Ortega are just massive guys for this weight class. And so it, it, it was an uphill battle. And, but it was that jab that dropped Cub was, I mean, it looked, it looked brutal. Um, it was very impressive. And, um, I look forward, I mean, maybe the fight you do is with Jose Aldo. That I was just he, thinking that. Yeah. Like Aldo's right back in that mix. Like featherweight now, while, you know, it's unfortunate what's happened to Max Holloway, but, what he's leaving, like Chad Mendez is now back in the mix. Like featherweight is really exciting at the moment. You have Frankie Edgar fighting Chan Sung Jung later this year. There's there's a lot of movement in that top ten uh, with the featherweights at the moment. Ziggy, did you uh, 
you know, Cub Swanson now has lost three straight, though that's a very uh, kind of deceptive losing streak when it's Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, and Hanato Moicano uh, that he has lost to in those last three. Uh, do you see Cub Swanson kind of, uh, you know, I imagine he's going to drop down some spots here at featherweight, but where do you see uh, Cub Swanson going next? Is he just going to be someone that is in the kind gatekeeper? of a gatekeeper position at featherweight yeah. or someone that you think can uh, rebound and compete with some of the upper echelon at 145? Um, I, I feel like at this stage in his career, I mean, he's been along for a while. He's been, you know, like you said, it's his three-fight um losing streak so i i do think that um he is pretty much a a gatekeeper now almost like uh, donald cerrone like i i still find that he'll be entertaining um in terms of that you know when i first saw you know when he was like ranked fifth and then was the underdog you know it it said a lot about mokino but also a lot about how the ufc ranking is kind of at the same time um, but that jab was so impressive. Like that jab was not, you know, like they even announced that it wasn't like, you know, just check the jab or distance. It was, it was probably one of the best jabs I've ever seen, to be honest with you. That was just, uh, that was crazy. Then we go to our first of two title fights, Demetrius Johnson defending the flyweight title against Henry Cejudo, a rematch from UFC 197 in April of 2016, uh, which was, uh, Conversely, uh, that was uh, John Jones' second-to-last fight that he had back in 2016. So we had a weird start to this fight where Cejudo rolled his ankle. He later said it was off of a calf kick. And, I mean, Joe Rogan even brought up the comparison to Michael Chandler when he fought Brent Primus. Uh, This looked like this fight was going to be over before it even started, and Cejudo was going to have the most unfortunate loss uh, he has ever had. But the guy recovered from it, and it didn't seem to be uh, too problematic as things continued. Uh, I thought Johnson, just with his head kicks and the strikes he landed, took the first round. Mm-hmm. Into the second, the corner is telling him to work on his takedowns, that being Cejudo, and they're icing his knee. Uh, Cejudo comes back. I thought he won the second round, getting his first takedown and uh, kind of offsetting some of Johnson's leg kicks as well. But a very close round in the second, and as we will go to with the judges, that was the one a contentious round in their scoring. Third round, uh, I gave this round to Johnson. He was landing leg kicks pretty consistently throughout throughout the fight, really, but especially in the third. Uh, Cejudo did get another takedown. Johnson need him in the body and some good scrambles here uh, from Johnson as Cejudo was trying for the takedown. Uh, we go to the fourth round, and Cejudo uh, lands with a right. He's really trying to get his hands going later in the round and got a takedown. Cejudo landed with an elbow as well. Uh, before we go to the fifth round, uh, how did you guys have it after four? Because I was like the announcers. I had it two apiece. Uh, Phil, how did you have your scorecard going into round five? Uh, so I had it three rounds to one for DJ going into the fifth. I ha- I gave round two to DJ. So mm-hmm. round one, two, and three were to DJ. With round two, as you mentioned, it being the contentious round, I didn't really feel it was all that contentious because – Suhudo did grab a takedown in that round. He controlled top position for roughly 45 seconds to a minute. But other than that, there was, he didn't do much. It was mostly Demetrius Johnson landing leg kicks, body shots, and sticking and moving throughout the round. So I, I just had a tough time scoring that one for Suhudo. And Ziggy, how did. I actually had the same as Phil. Um, I actually gave the second round to DJ as well, too. Like, he set up more leg kicks and everything like that. Um, and, um, I did write in my notes as I could see Sahudo possibly win with that takedown, but I still gave it to DJ. But I know a, a lot of the times with takedowns, um, with some of the refing, it does, they do tend to give it to the wrestler sometimes. So, so, but, uh, in between rounds four and five. I mean, you have two corners that are sending their fighters out for an incredibly important round. No matter how you're scoring this, you know it's close. And you have DJ's corner that you got to hear, and they're just kind of going over, like, technical things he's got to be doing and, and watching for the takedowns. You can't be taken down and just be underneath him. And then we cut to uh, Henry Cejudo's corner and his coach, Eric Elbaracine. He's going for more the motivational speech. And he this is his speech, okay? We don't get tired. We get hungry. 
Let's <laughs> burn the castle. Let's burn the shit. Let's take the fucking castle now. Fucking stick his ass. Take him down. Let's hurt this guy. If he gets back up, let's fucking knock his ass out. <laughs> that that was Henry Cejudo's words. It was awesome. Going into the fifth round. I mean, this was uh, this was uh, right out of Paul Heyman and beyond the mat. <laughs> <laughs> so the fifth round begins, and Johnson is landing with a, a body kick, and then enters, hits Cejudo, and Johnson landed with a counter left. Uh, then Cejudo gets a takedown, but Johnson is right up. Cejudo does land a left as he gets up. And then Johnson, a head kick is partially blocked. There's a pair of knees to the body by Cejudo. And then he lands in the closing seconds. I don't know about you guys. I thought this was just so close. I didn't feel anyone could really be that upset with whatever the outcome was. I thought this was such a close round. It was dramatic. And this this was a tremendous fight. Before we even get to the decisions, I thought it was a super entertaining fight. And I was watching this on Sunday morning where I, I knew who the winner was ahead of time. And I was still glued to the edge of my seat here. Um, I scored it 48-47 for Henry Cejudo. It sounds like you guys probably had it uh, for Demetrius Johnson. Um, did you have any other score than 48-47? Or did you think Cejudo won the fifth, starting with Ziggy? Uh, yeah, no, I, I had it for DJ, um, on that. Um, yeah, I, but honestly, like, uh, I felt like if I'm not, um, mad about the results, um, on that, but it was such a close fight. Like, you know, even the way that DJ, um, you know, was okay with losing and gave him his props, uh, I was okay with it, but, uh, I still think DJ won, but it was a good fight. It was a that and that was what was really good about it. So, uh, Phil, just in terms of the actual fight, I mean, some people were talking about this being uh, the best flyweight fight the UFC has had. Um, do you think that's an outrageous statement? What were your impressions of the fight? Um, I don't think it's an outrageous statement. It was a, it was a I thought it was a great fight. I thought it was the highest level of mixed martial arts that you can pretty much see next to maybe, you know, Daniel Cormier versus John Jones. It was, it was an exceptional fight. It was very competitive. Um, I, I still though, I, I did have DJ winning this fight and even though it was competitive, I felt he kind of was clearly the winner in a bizarre way, even though, you know, the, the rounds, it, the round system sort of distorts things a little bit. So mm-hmm. I gave Cejudo the, the fifth round. I thought that was actually the closest round. Mm-hmm. I, um, so I had it three, two, uh, for DJ with the second one. And, but I go back to this, I, I went to fight metric, uh, this morning and like, so here are the stats. Demetrius Johnson landed 81 of 134 strikes for 60% accuracy. Whereas Henry Cejudo landed 51 for 100 of uh, 51 out of 147 for 34 percent accuracy, mm-hmm. and of the total strikes, Demetrius Johnson was 121 of 174, and uh, Henry Cejudo was 80 of 178. So Demetrius Johnson landed 50 percent more strikes and more than 50 percent more significant strikes, and I really feel that this was the story of the fight. Henry Cejudo did land some takedowns, did have some top position, but that represented maybe four minutes of the 25 minutes of action. And so it's just. I don't think he did that much damage either. Like you look at DJ at the end of the fight and he looked great. Like he looked like he can go another five rounds. Yeah. So on a round by round scoring, it was close, but. I, I, I don't know. It's just like, I just, I could not see a way that I could give Cejudo this fight. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was a robbery. I don't think it was an awful decision or anything, but it just, it, it, it just sort of reminds me that there's something not correct with the way that we scored these fights. Well, I think if, if you're going by pride rules, I'm with you. I think Demetrius Johnson wins this fight. Um, I thought the second was closer than you did, but I can like that's where the judges differed here. They all agreed uh, on all of the other rounds. They all gave uh, one and three to DJ and three and five to Cejudo, and it was two that had it for Cejudo in round two, and one scored it for Johnson. So that second round was the one that they looked at. 
Henry Cejudo wins by split decision, 48-47, twice in his favor, one scoring the same for Demetrius Johnson, whose title reign with 11 title defenses after 2,142 days comes to an end. And after the fight, Cejudo challenged the winner of TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt that was still to come. And Demetrius Johnson, I don't know how this guy has the ability to just take a loss like this. He sounded as upbeat after this fight as if he had won the fight. He was just completely classy in defeat here. And this just seemed like it was, yeah, I lost. That's it. Uh, I'll try harder next time. That was it. This guy ends a six-year unbeaten streak, the only flyweight champion. And I couldn't believe this guy in a fight that you could absolutely argue that he won. I couldn't believe this guy's attitude after the fight. And then adds that he may have torn his LCL and broken Mm -hmm. his right foot somewhere in that fight as well. I think it's criminal not to go to the rematch next between these two. Uh, I, I would much rather them do that than Cejudo fighting TJ Dillashaw next. Um, I would much rather see the flyweight rematch again because I think you could market this as the greatest flyweight fight in UFC history, whether you agree with that or not. And it's more, more than owed uh, for Johnson to have an immediate rematch. So that would be my direction here, that they have their rubber fight. I agree. I mean, I would love to see a rubber match uh, between the, the two. Um, I'm not surprised the way that um, the way that he acted, uh, just because I watch him on Twitch all the time when he's playing uh, his games and everything like that. He's a very humble guy, um, and he's a very re- uh, relaxed, chill dude. So um, I was not surprised by uh, his reaction to that. And... Um, you know, he's, he's such a humble guy. So, uh, that, that was great to see. And Phil, what was that stat of the total number of strikes that Johnson landed in the fight? So Johnson landed 121 out of 174, whereas Henry Cejudo landed uh, 80 of 178. So, so Demetrius Johnson landed 50% more strikes, 41 total more strikes and landed at a much higher percentage. So it just, yeah, and I mean it was, and a lot of them were vicious body shots and leg kicks. And, and that's um, what I felt throughout the fight too. Like I honestly thought DJ won. I felt like he did more. Like sure, he had the takedowns, but I didn't feel like he was effective on those, uh, on most of those takedowns. So, well, that I mean, that's just you are tied to this ten point must system, and that's I mean we can look at these numbers afterwards, and that's sometimes when you just you can look at it that. Did Demetrius Johnson win this fight, this fight that you're judging as a whole? I think most people would say yes. He won these these 25 minutes judged as a whole. And then when you're breaking it down into five rounds that are all weighted equally, that's when you can run into fights like this that become much closer when you're when you're dividing it into, into five chapters. But I asked the stats um, as well that Demetrius Johnson landed 121 total strikes in this fight. And... I go back to that Alex Perez performance. This dude landed 104 strikes out of 170 <laughs> throwing in three minutes and 36 seconds compared to the 25 minutes uh, from these two flyweights, which is insane yeah. what Alex Perez did in that fight. I think he's the most overlooked guy on this card of like what that guy did in three minutes and 36 seconds. I think what I was surprised with, like if you go back to like old school UFC where, you know, with with champions and everything like that, where even when the fight is close, like, did they do enough to beat the champion? And I don't feel like Cejudo did. Um, but, so that's but why the, I was kind of surprised. But the rules are, are such that, like, you can't, if you're a judge, you're turning in your scorecard at the end of each round. And right. it's not at after five, you've got to say, well, it was really close. And this guy was the challenger. So I'm going to give him an extra point for this round. Like, it just, it doesn't work that no, way. No, I, I completely agree with you. I'm just surprised how back, like, Back in the day, that's how it kind of was, right? Like, it was always like, oh, well, did he do enough? And, uh, like, even during the rounds, like, you know, you look at round two, you know, sure, Cejudo took him down, like you said, in the last 45 seconds. But I still feel like DJ did so much more during that round. But, you know, sometimes now with the, with the fights, you know, they count takedowns as a lot more points or whatever. Like, it, it's... I mean, I think it's one of those fights where it really does show a flaw in the system of how we score things um, and that we need to determine. Because, like, even, like, reversing a, a a takedown or whatnot, or sure, you took them down, but then if they got back right up, like, 
you know, should that even count? Phil, what do you see being next for the, the flyweight division and what you do with Henry Cejudo next? I, I think it's the rematch is the most logical. You've been trying to build up this division for such a long time. You finally have a marquee grudge match, so to speak. I mean, these guys aren't, aren't, aren't crap talkers, but it's a grudge match from a competitive standpoint. You have... Um, this great story of Henry, Henry Cejudo, the gold medalist, now Olympic, now UFC champion. Um, you have the most dominant champion. It's, it's, you know, they've had a tough time drawing with Demetrius Johnson, but this is, this is a great fight for the hardcore fan. I, I don't think anybody's going to complain about having it again. And then this whole, this concept of these quote unquote super fights, I'm going to put champion versus champion. I think it's drastically flawed. And we saw this even in the last event with Stipe versus Daniel Cormier, which is a wonderful fight and a great event and great that Daniel Cormier won that fight. But it's now that we know the pay-per-view numbers, it wasn't like it was a gangbuster pay-per-view. It's people aren't necessarily interested in this idea that one champion is going to go against another champion. They just want these marquee personalities to fight against each other. So I think you just do Cejudo versus Demetrius Johnson to really determine who the best flyweight is. And TJ Dillashaw, he can fight Dominic Cruz or any of the other 400 uh, bantamweights that were on this card. We go to the main event to the UFC Bantamweight Championship fight, a rematch between TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt from last November at UFC 217 when Dillashaw defeated Cody Garbrandt, stopping him in the second round. This time out, it only required four minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, They came out. Cody Garbrandt did not want to touch gloves as Dillashaw was just left hanging. And lots of kicks being thrown early by Garbrandt. Uh, He did land with one to the body, both through these Big looping right hands, and they each connected. Uh, a mouse formed under the eye of uh, the right eye of TJ Dillashaw, and then Garbrandt attacks and gets stunned with the short right by TJ. And you can see he's somewhat on wobbly legs as TJ just follows up with hammer fists. Uh, they get back to their feet. Dillashaw rocks him with a right hand, swarms him with more strikes, and then just the the fatal knee to the face from the tie clinch that just sent Cody Garbrandt's head off his shoulders and finished him with strikes against the cage. Uh, he was out on his feet and it was ended by knockout four minutes, 10 seconds. TJ Dillashaw retains his title. And I would say puts this feud kind of the bed after two fights. Now, I think it's going to be quite a road for Cody Garbrandt uh, to come back uh, at this point while TJ Dillashaw is champion. Uh, so huge win for TJ Dillashaw. And immediately the announcers are, discussing the idea of tj dillashaw if this guy is the best bantamweight of all time but um quite the contrast in fights between the two championship fights phil between mm-hmm. tj dillashaw and cody garbrandt but nonetheless dillashaw retains yeah i mean it was it was a great performance by tj dillashaw he he definitely showed improvements he looked at the mistakes that he had made in the first fight and improved on those it seemed like uh, Garbrandt was doing a bit of the same, but then there's a moment in this fight where he just decides that he throws all that out the window and he throws – you can find this uh, gif. He throws three consecutive left hands, and I swear if you had a metronome, they would be like timed perfectly, and he just like throws three, misses all of them, and then uh, TJ counters with the right, and that was – that dropped – Cody and that was the beginning of the end and it wasn't long after that that he was able to set up the finishing sequence that really ended the fight and uh yeah super impressive performance by TJ Dillashaw um like I said he looked better the idea of him being the greatest uh, bantamweight of all time is a bit silly because of what Dominic Cruz has done in the sport and the fact that Dominic Cruz has a win over TJ Dillashaw. To me, that's the natural next fight really um, to do. Can TJ finally get over that hump, make the improvements in that fight? And uh, so that's what I would like to see personally. Yeah, I think that's 
That's well, a fight you could certainly argue. I mean, Marlon Marais Mar- is in the that, mix as well. That that, that was the, the that, that sort of, that name just sort of came back. I think the last podcast we had, uh, I talked about how I wanted to see Marais, um fight for the belt, and I do think he deserves it. And so I I think that would be an exceptional fight. I mean, the level of striking that we would see in that matchup would be incredible. So. Uh, yeah, let's do, let's do Marias and, and, uh, if, if TJ can win that fight, we can do cruise down the line. Yeah. yeah I'm I- interested. I'm interested in both those fights, Ziggy, um, beyond Henry Cejudo. I'm just kind of tired of the mixing up the divisions, putting divisions on hold while we do these fights that, uh, as we brought up, I, I don't think TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo <laughs> is doing gangbuster numbers to begin with that. Why are we going to put these two divisions on hold? Uh, when there is obvious fights to make, I feel in both weight classes. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, in this fight in general, I think it shows the difference between TJ and Cody. I think TJ is a lot more composed, and I think Cody fights a lot with his emotions. Um, you know, he was swinging for the fences and, you know, d- basically did the same mistakes uh, as the first one. I, I wouldn't mind seeing TJ and, and Dominic Cruz um, fight again. I actually thought uh, TJ won their their, their fight. Um it was very close. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually gave that one to TJ. And I don't even like TJ. Like, I respect him as a fighter. Do, do not get me wrong. Yeah. He, uh, he's a very smart fighter and you can tell, um, on that. Uh, but I, I actually gave the first fight to, to Cruz. So I would love to see a rematch between the two. And I, I think, I would think that TJ would love to get a win back from that one. So, uh, the, Figures from the show, 17794 at the Staples Center, gate of $2,850,000. They gave out the fight of the night bonus to Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo. That's very hard to argue. And the performance bonuses to TJ Dillashaw and Hanato Moicano. Nothing for poor Alex Perez, who was just buried on fight pass and, and nobody talking about this man at the end with a, a tremendous performance. But anyway... Um, I guess, guys, uh, closing thoughts, Phil, on UFC 227. I would say this card uh, exceeded my expectations, which were relatively minor going in. I think you got a tremendous flyweight fight, a pretty historical outcome, given the fact Demetrius Johnson lost, and a pretty definitive main event victory for TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, I mean, I, I was entertained by the fights. It was high skill level. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that the um, buy rate is going to be pretty bad because there was really no marquee names on this card. And of the two big fights, they were rematches. So Higher I, or lower I, than 200,000 buys? Lower, lower wow. for sure. Lower for sure. Ziggy? Um, uh, I, I kind of have to agree, too, like – it was kind of built last minute, or at least that's how I, it felt, anyways. Um, you know, like you know, like like you guys said, they're all a bunch of rematches. I mean, at least I like the fact that TJ, you know, won um, easily uh, to end that. Um, obviously, we'll probably potentially see um, DJ and Cejudo again. Uh, but overall, you know, it, it was, as a MMA fan, it was a, I thought it was a pretty decent card. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. I want to thank everyone uh, for tuning in and listening. The UFC off for a couple of weeks. They have a fight night card coming up August 25th with Justin Gaethje taking on James Vick. And then their next pay-per-view, when we will have a post-show, uh, they've got UFC 228 from Dallas, Texas. Two title fights as Tyron Woodley is defending against uh, Darren Till. Uh, this is going to be actually a unification match because we have the champion at 170 pounds meeting the champion at 176 pounds, which was the catchweight he last fought at. Uh, while Colby Covington is uh, presumably going to watch this from the White House. And Nico Montano returns to face Valentina Shevchenko. What a card we've got in Dallas, Phil. Uh, I, I, uh, so I mentioned earlier that my second favorite fighter, technically speaking, is, uh, Demetrius Johnson, and my number one favorite fighter is Valentina Shevchenko. So I look okay, forward to, I look forward to her just annihilating this poor girl. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is this the most, is this the biggest underdog, uh, ever for, uh, in, in terms of a champion going in as an underdog? I cannot think of a fight that, I don't know anyone that is picking Nico Montano to the point that I think I feel we are ripe for an upset here. <laughs> um, I mean, 
considering that Jermaine Durandamy never made it to the <laughs> fight, uh, yeah, this would probably have to be the biggest, uh, biggest stun. I mean, like Valentina Shevchenko, you can make a case is the champion at 135. So, uh, yeah, this is this is a bad. So we've uh, got a super fight on our hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure, <laughs> the super fight: Nico Montano, Valentina Shevchenko, and it's not even headlining, folks. Like that, Valentina that's- Shevchenko. Do they have the Do they have the uh, the odds yet? Uh, I don't know. Let me. I can look this up real uh, quick. Um, but uh, Valentina Shevchenko, if you include her kick. Boxing fights. She has more professional fights than anyone else in the UFC. So, okay. So here we go. So the best odds for Nico Montano here is she is a plus 470, whereas Valentina Shevchenko is a minus 740. And that is, yeah, it's, it's a crazy discrepancy with the, with the worst odds being, um, plus 625. And minus eight fifty. Um, so it, yeah, I mean, if if you if you, I mean, maybe maybe she's a hot bet, uh, Nico Montano, and, but uh, it's a risky wager. Well, yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> well, Ziggy and Phil, they will be back next month as we talk about uh, Nico Montano shocking the world. Uh, so that will be coming up next month, coming off of Dallas. I want to thank you guys as always uh, for watching the show and then coming on with me to chat about it. And you can get. All of your latest news and shows up at postwrestling.com. Goodbye.